Hello everyone and welcome to Dementia Caregivers Community. My name is Marquita Puckett and I'm here today with co-host Tracy Wilson and we just want to say thank you for being in our listening space. We appreciate your time, we appreciate your journey, we appreciate the thought that you can connect with us and we can connect with you. I want to thank Alzheimer's Tennessee for giving us this opportunity. They are supporting us and giving us the means and the ways to do this. And so thank you, Alzheimer's Tennessee. And it's also a great resource for you, the listener. And later on in the podcast, Tracy will give you more information on how you can contact the Alzheimer's Tennessee organization. So thank you again for being with us. Today, we are going to start the first episode in a series called Difficult Discussions and difficult decisions. This disease, I sometimes refer to it as the caregiver's disease because so many decisions are placed upon the caregiver and they have to gather the information and they're gathering from medical, from legal, and plus they're oftentimes living with the individual. So today, we just want to step back at the beginning of the dementia journey It even starts before you arrive at the doctor's office. I just want to say that again. The beginning of the dementia journey starts before you arrive at the doctor's office. Sometimes people will find themselves years into symptoms before they get a diagnosis from the doctor. And I'll just quickly share with you my experience with my husband. Now, Tracy and I was talking before we started recording, I now see that my husband was probably two years into the disease before I had noticed things, but before his peers and family members probably even started noticing things. And it's those small things like you attribute to, oh, just forgetting, oh, they can't remember, oh, they they seem a little more despondent, they're seeming a little more anxious. My husband actually, I referred to it in the earlier podcast as he seemed depressed And that was totally out of character for my husband. He was very upbeat, just a peacemaker, always saw the the good side to everything. And I saw just like a withdrawal and a despondency and being a little depressed. And so sometimes when you get the diagnosis, they're already into the disease a couple years. And so that's where we want to be. And we're calling it the doctor's waiting room. We want to try to address that time of you're living with a family member or you're a friend and you start seeing behaviors or symptoms. And we want to try to answer that question. Well, what would we observe that would even warrant medical attention? And I like to call it how far off is that family or friend from their baseline? So, Tracy, that's my question for you today to start this conversation. What behaviors and symptoms, before we get to the doctor's waiting room, might a family member or friend start observing that would warrant some medical attention, as I call it, veering off of that baseline? Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. And of course, depending on the different types of dementia, that may look different ways. So Alzheimer's disease, you think of short-term memory loss or problems with the ability of retracing steps, having difficulty with things that have happened, abilities that they've had in the past that may begin to diminish just a little bit. You think about frontotemporal dementia, you have more personality changes, loss of empathy, 
Lewy body dementia, you have some sleep disturbances, you perhaps have visual challenges, those types of things. So it really depends on the specific type of dementia that a person may be experiencing. But I think over and above all, it would be a cognitive change that is not quote unquote normal for that particular person. So it could look like several different things. I always give this example to parents as a teacher. I'm a teacher. When someone says cognitive mm-hmm. and then I hear cognitive impairment with it, the basic way I can describe that to a parent is when I ask your child to do three things, get your pencil, get out your paper, and please be seated, and now put your name at the top. Mm-hmm. That child was lost when I said, get out your pencil. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing that I have seen with dementia individuals that that cognitive impairment following that simple one, two, three process. And it might look like, hey, honey, will you get the milk out of the refrigerator? And they go in another room and bring back a jacket. Mm -hmm. Or you're thinking, you know, you've got your shirt on, you've got your pants on, but you don't have your socks and shoes and we're leaving in five minutes. Mm-hmm. It's it's things that don't blare out at you like, oh my gosh, why did they do that? Or why are they doing that? It's just so simple, Absolutely. little simple cognitive impairments that you start noticing time after time. Right. After time. Right. Right. Really good rule of thumb, which kind of condenses most of what we've said is it's something that disrupts life. Mm, So when it happens over and over and over again, if it was an isolated incident, you know, I'm getting uh, confused about what exit to get off of because I'm talking on my phone and not paying attention and, and those types of things. So it's when that happens repeatedly that it does begin to affect everyday life. And, mm-hmm. you know, there have been instances, families that I've worked with, that it truly was a type of dementia that affected personality prior to anything else. And so we're working with spouses who, you know, are looking at potential divorce because their loved one isn't as empathetic or as loving or as caring as they had always been. So one of the things I think that many people get very wrapped up in is all dementias equal memory loss Mm -hmm. or confusion. And that definitely is not the case. Yeah, that's that's a good point to bring out. And I think the mood disorder is a biggie also. Mm-hmm. And because, again, if you're just thinking, oh, they can't remember things, they forgot their name, they, for- they forget their family members or friends' names, it's you forget how to do life in general. I love that right. when you say it disrupts life. Right. You, they start forgetting, including how to feel for another individual. Right. On emotional level. Right. Any more examples? Can you can you think of anything that's, again, we're just now getting to the doctor's office. So that time between living or friends with this person to I get to the doctor's office, the forgetfulness, right. the mood change, it's disrupting life. Um, oh, I just now thought of one, Tracy. Finances. Yes. That finances. executive task function. Exactly. So balancing mm-hmm. the checkbook, taking care of those types of things, paying bills. Absolutely. An interesting little fact that some people out there may know is that on average, a year to two years pass from the time a person begins having those first symptoms until Mm. a diagnosis is given. So there's a pretty long time period. It's almost like some people are so adapt and can do it so well of not masking or trying to hide it, but compensate. 
sure. for, for the yeah. losses, or they don't even realize what's happening to them. They're just living their life Absolutely. and they're unaware, no self-awareness of what's going on. Right. So Tracy, we finally, someone says, okay, you know, in my case, I noticed things and then my husband's peers who worked in the same field as he did, they started noticing the biggies and mm-hmm. they brought it to attention. And I, and I remember, Tracy, I was sitting in our kitchen and for oh, at least a year and a half feeling overwhelmed to the point of this is not my husband. And I can relate when you say people were in marriage counseling because I thought, what what am I doing? What what have I done wrong? Is he upset with me? What This is not him. What's going on? Mm-hmm. And I remember he came home, shared a conversation that he had had with his peers and his brother, and I started crying. Mm-hmm. I was so relieved that someone else finally was calling attention to the things that I had been seeing. Mm-hmm. And from there, of course, it just you know, our journey officially started, we made it to the doctor's waiting room. Mm -hmm. So Tracy, we're now in the doctor's waiting room. And I sort of knew things to ask because I had been on the journey with my dad. But tell us once we're at the doctor's waiting room, they call our name, we're dreading it, we're going in there. What are some words? What are some phrases? What kind of questions should we be asking? What what information should we be giving to the doctor when he says, "Okay, how can I help you today? What's going on?" Mm-hmm. Well, this is a this is a tad bit probably of a of a controversial topic because you already mentioned something. I don't think we called it by name in this particular episode, but you mentioned something which is known as onosognosia. And what that means is a person is not aware of what's going on. So denial doesn't exist or, you know, pushing it off isn't existing. It is a symptom of a dementia. That means the ability to self-reflect and realize what's going on is affected. So I think there are different tactics and different things that can be done. And of course, as you already referenced at the end, we'll give some resources getting in touch with Alzheimer's Tennessee for maybe a more in-depth conversation. But just in general, if everyone in the room is on the same page, so the person who's experiencing some cognitive deficits and their family care partner are on the same page, I think it's important just to kind of throw it out there. We have several memory cafe programs and those participants are very open and very willing and desiring to get that help from starting with diagnosis to the things that come after. So I think letting the doctor know I'm experiencing some symptom here. So I'm experiencing some significant memory loss for me. I am experiencing some personality changes that are different from my history. They are different than my behavior. So I think just kind of what most people tell us that are living with a diagnosis, the most successful experiences are just kind of throwing it out there in the very beginning, because there will be several medical tests that are done to rule out things that, of course, are not dementia related, but can mimic dementia. So I think just explaining what that particular symptom is, is a great place to start. And so you did mention physical. So we know that we would want our physician to order blood work. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. Maybe even a scan of something, you know, mm -hmm. uh, look at that blood pressure, look at diabetes, look at that thyroid, mm -hmm. look at the whole blood panel. Mm -hmm. And we know we would want look at medications. Mm -hmm. We know that we would want him to look at all that. Tracy, just very briefly, can you tell us like the assessments, the cognitive assessments they can actually do there in the office that some of them aren't really that long at all? They really um, aren't. And it mm -hmm. kind of depends on the comfort level of that particular physician. So most often we're beginning with primary care or our internal medicine doctor, that person who has our history that we've been with for a while. So they have a baseline for us and they know us. We have that trust built. So mm -hmm. typically we're looking at something to the effect of a mini mental status exam or a MOCA a Montreal Cognitive Assessment Exam, a mini COG or a mini cognitive assessment, a clock draw test, of course, a geriatric depression scale. They're going to make sure they kind of get a handle on, is that something that we're experiencing as well, since it can affect memory? Those are some of the most common phonetic fluency tests, animal fluency tests. Those are some of the most basic things that primary care is going to be most comfortable doing. And it really is just a way for them to measure. Yes. It's just a way for them to measure how far off they have veered from yes. the baseline. And from there, what should I ask the physician? You know, do I need to go somewhere special what, what do I ask the physician then? This is also something that has mixed uh, reviews on, I will say. But there's a lot of individuals who want imaging because there are some additional syndromes, symptoms, medical conditions that could be going on that wouldn't be caught unless we did something to the effect of a CAT scan. Typically for insurance, it's going to be the one that we're required to do first, then perhaps an MRI if we are connected to any type of memory clinic or a bigger metropolitan area, then we may have access to a PET scan or something to that degree, but most people will be referred on to a neurology practice where those individuals are a little more vast in their approach, their testing recommendations and those types of things. And then above and beyond that, we also have neuropsychiatrists or neuropsychologists, depending on the area, they can do some longer testing that's going to be a couple of days to several hours, very intense and those types of things. So it kind of depends on the person, where they are located and how aggressive they want to be in getting that diagnostic picture because it can be done in a lot of primary care offices. And, you know, Trace, I just want to say something here, and not to be the Debbie Downer, but to be very practical and realistic. When you said that disrupts life, as a caregiver, and we hear the diagnosis, and we go on to more in-depth appointments, more in-depth testing, and maybe even do get it narrowed down to what type of dementia we are dealing with, I wish that we could say, that's the end. Now we know the diagnosis. This is the pill. It's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it's not. It's the beginning mm -hmm. of the journey. Mm -hmm. It's the beginning. You've moved out of the waiting room and now you're on full-fledged the journey when you get the diagnosis. So I want our caregivers to know and to realize 
this disease will disrupt your life. Not only the person who gets the medical diagnosis, but you, the caregiver, it will disrupt your life. I think that one word you said to me one time was one of the good things about knowing if you can get a true diagnosis, sometimes it's not always easy, but if you can get a true diagnosis, it's how you approach it. It will be yes. your approach on the yes. journey to that diagnosis. Yes. And that's so true. And we can address those in our next episode of difficult discussions and difficult decisions because they will come. Those discussions will come and those decisions will now be a part of your life mm -hmm. because you just received the diagnosis in the doctor's room. Tracy, I'm going to let you wrap us up here. Would you give us some information about some, maybe some emails or websites Absolutely. Of your, where people can connect with us? Because I want to say to the person listening to this podcast, oh no, that's what we just found out. Mm -hmm. Oh no, I think that might be a possibility. It could be me. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, no, that's where I am. Mm -hmm. I'm I've been caregiving for this person. And you're telling me it's it might get worse. It might. It might get more challenging. It might plateau. Mm -hmm. Those are the things we do not know. So I want to encourage the listeners to stay connected. And so will you give us some ways we can stay connected? Absolutely. I think one of the things that you and I both discussed when we talked about beginning this podcast is to provide caregivers, to equip them, to encourage them, and to empower them, as mm -hmm. both of us have both been caregivers for family members. So one of the things that a listener might be thinking is, your organization is Alzheimer's Tennessee, which means that you're located in Tennessee. And that is true. I've been with this organization for starting my 25th year. And what I will say and what I've told many people over the past 25 years is resources are specific, right? If you live in Montana or you live in Los Angeles or you live in New York City, what is available to you in your area is very area specific. And mm -hmm. that may require some research and require some more in-depth information. But feelings are universal, this journey is universal. So even though our organization is based in Tennessee, that's irrelevant. We are here for you. So a couple of ways to connect with us would be through our website, which is www.alztennessee.org or email at Tracy, T-R-A-C-E-Y dot Kendall, K-E-N-D-A-L-L, Wilson, at T-N-A-L-Z dot org. Again, through Dementia's Caregiver Community, we are here to encourage and empower. Mm -hmm. Education is important, mm -hmm. but support is even more important. And we are here for you. Be encouraged. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dementia Caregivers Community Podcast. You can learn more about the podcast at alztennessee.org slash podcast. Please review us on your podcast player. It helps other caregivers find the community. And please join us for the next episode.